I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And good morning, we welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. I invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. You're also invited to visit our website, www.asburybaptist.org. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. Today we look at the beginning of the Gospel, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locust and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost." Matthew begins his gospel by sharing the genealogy of Jesus. He feels the need to prove that Jesus is the son of Abraham and a son of David. Luke begins by talking about the events which lead up to the birth of our Lord Jesus, and John's gospel starts out in eternity past, reminding us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Now, Mark does not start out by talking about the Lord's heritage or his birth, yet Mark's desire is to present Jesus as a servant. And a servant does not need a genealogy. Mark begins by jumping right into action, and his first sentence serves as a title to the book, and it serves to plunge us immediately into the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus. Mark is going to share with his readers the good news concerning who Jesus is and what he did while he was here. Mark calls the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God. Now the name Jesus is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means Jehovah's salvation. Jesus is his human name and it reveals the reason Jesus came into this world. Christ came into this world to save lost sinners. Matthew 1.21, Luke 19.10. The name Jesus declares his person. He is called Christ. This identifies Jesus as the Jewish Messiah or the anointed one. The name Christ declares his position. 
Jesus is pictured as the one who will deliver his people from their enemies. Then Mark raises the stakes. He calls Jesus the Son of God. And Mark lets us know in very clear terms that he's writing about a man who is actually no ordinary man. He's writing about a man who is God in the flesh. John 1, 1 and verse 14. The name Son of God declares his power. So this title declares four important truths regarding Christ. Number one, he is truly human. He has a human name, Jesus. He is truly divine. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is truly unique. He is both humanity and deity in one person. And he is the true source of good news. Jesus alone is the source of salvation. Now we have Mark's introduction of the book that bears his name. Now we'll begin to process moving in and around these verses. Let's consider the beginning of the ministry of Jesus as Mark writes about the man who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. Now, notice with me in verses 2 and 3, we see John and his mandate. In ancient times, kings often sent people ahead of them, kind of uh, advance team, if you will, to prepare the way for their coming. They would be known as a forerunner. The forerunner had two primary duties. First, he was to make certain that the roads were passable. There were no, to be no delays when the king passed through, and he was to have a clear open route through the kingdom. Secondly, the forerunner was to let the people know that the king was coming. He was to go along the route before the king came through, and he was to tell people to get ready for the king. Now, John the Baptist fulfilled both duties seen in the ancient forerunner. He came to this world with a divine mission, and John was given a heavenly mandate, which he fulfilled while he was here. Now, let's examine that mandate. In verses 2 and 3, it also tells us that John was fulfillment of two important Old Testament prophecies. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Secondly, Malachi 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 2, we see that it involved preparation. Jesus cleared the way for the coming of the Lord by appealing directly to the people. The Jewish and religious leaders had long ago forgotten the common man. John came preaching to the people calling on them to repent because the Lord, the King, was coming to deliver his people. In verse 3, it involved proclamation. John was a lone voice against the dead legalism of the Jews. He was a hard preacher in a dark day, and God used him to touch a generation. 
John the Baptist preached during a period when the Jewish religion had become nothing more than dead orthodoxy. Legalism and ritual ruled the day. And the Jews were in desperate need of a spiritual revival. And the Gentiles had given up on religion. They viewed most religious beliefs as superstition and foolish tales. Both groups needed just what John preached. And that was the truth. Folks, we're living in a similar day. Many churches have abandoned the great doctrines of the Bible to preach either a message rooted in humanism or legalism. People are either never challenged regarding their sins or they are beaten down with the word of God. There's a great need for men of God in our day who will stand up, open their Bibles, open their mouths, and preach the word of God. Jesus Christ is coming. And where are the forerunners who are preparing the way of the Lord and proclaiming his return? Preachers, listen to me. Our mandate is that same thing as John preached, John the Baptist. We are to preach the word in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. The Bible is the word of God. We must preach it when it's popular and preach it when they give you hell about it. Secondly, I would show you in verses 4 and 5, John and his methods. John was a preacher. He came telling men of the need for repentance. His message was a message of confrontation. Well, that's not popular today at all. When you have a message of confrontation, oh, everybody wants to calm you down and shut you up. But my friend, the Bible is a confrontational book. The gospel is a confrontational message. And John came confronting sin and calling on people to repent. In fact, the word repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of action. The people had sinned, and John called on them to change their minds regarding sin. John was calling them to clean up their lives in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. He was saying, the Lord is coming. The Savior is coming. You need to straighten out your crooked hearts. You need to get in the way of your heart being prepared for the coming of the Lord. John's message was also a message of change. John told the people that repentance would result in the remission of sins. Now the word remission means forgiveness or pardon of sins as though they had never happened. John told the people that their repentance would result in God's forgiveness. Friends, that's a message we must give our world today. We're the preachers who are preaching about repentance and remission of sin. Most preachers are too busy stroking the people's egos and tickling their ears. They're too busy building their crowds and their own religious empires. We need men of God in this day who will lift up their voices and thunder out against sin. 
We need men who will not allow position, prestige, prosperity, or popularity stand between them and the proclamation of the truth. We must have preachers who will tell people the truth. I know how hard it is to preach the truth to the people who determine what kind of house you buy or what kind of car you drive, but the truth must be told. I don't rely on the deacons. I don't rely on Asbury Baptist Church to take care of my needs. I am taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ and come hell or high water, I must honor him. I must honor him because I please him because I serve Jesus Christ, period. People need to know that sin kills. People need to know that there is a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. People need to know that God still looks for repentant hearts and changed lives. Bottom line, people need the truth. Not everybody wants to be lulled to sleep by the weak anemic preaching of the day. Some people still want to hear the truth and some people still want to be confronted by the facts of the word and those people want to be fed. Now the rest, those who do not want to hear the truth need to be confronted. And there are plenty of people out there who will not hear the truth. The Bible tells us that in 2 Timothy 4 verses 3 and 4. And by that we know that it's the end, the the end times, the latter days. The need for a prophet of God like John the Baptist has never been greater than it is right now. You know what you need to be doing? You need to be praying for the men who still carry the mail for the glory of God, who still preach the word for the glory of God. I'll tell you, they're getting fewer and fewer every day. Nearly every week, nearly every week, a church calls me or reaches out to me asking for a recommendation for a pastor because theirs is either either retiring or he's taking another work or God's led him somewhere else and they're needing a few names or they're needing one name and there are many times right now I can't even give them a name. It's a sad day. Now John in verse 4 John did something else that was unusual in his day. He baptized Jews. Now, people in that part of the world had been practicing baptism for a long time. When a Gentile became a Jewish convert, that person would baptize themselves as a symbol of their changed life. Baptism was not new. The way John used it was. John did not baptize people to make them right with God. The phrase... And I quote, preach the baptism of repentance for the mission of sin, remission of sins does not mean that people were being baptized to have their sins forgiven. They were being baptized because their sins had been forgiven. They went to John. They were immersed into the river of Jordan to declare publicly that their lives had been changed by the power of God. And they were baptized to give glory to the God who had forgiven their sins and made them whole. In other words, the baptism was about a change of life. That's still what baptism represents. People are not saved by being baptized, and people are not baptized to be saved. They're baptized because they have been saved. 
Baptism is a picture of a person dying to the old life of sin and rising again to a new life of holiness. By the way, everyone who comes to Christ and is saved by his grace will be a new creation according to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. They will live in a new kind of life and they will have new desires. They will be different. Jesus changes every life he touches. And we're told that many of the people living in that region came to John to be baptized. We see that in verse 5. These people made a break from their past and were changed by the power of God. Someone has estimated that as many as 300,000 people may have been baptized by John and his disciples. Here's the point. These people would have traveled some 20 miles on foot. When they arrived where John was, he treated them like they were Gentiles. It must have shaken them to their core. Here's this preacher telling them that they were no better than the Gentiles. When they were confronted with their sins, they saw their sins, and they repented. And when they did, God forgave them. Now John just preached the word of God, and God honored his word. People responded to the preaching of the Baptist. They came to him confessing their sins and turning from their sinful lifestyles. Now, of course, not everyone was happy about John's ministry. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to see what all the fuss was about. They came to criticize John and his message. You always have those. When he saw them coming, he rebuked them for their hypocrisy and called them to repentance as well. That's in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. They refused John's plea to repent, and they continued on in their sins. It's worthy of notation that we're living in hard times spiritually. There's a trend toward seeker-friendly, feel-good religion. Preachers who call sin what it is and who call for people to repent are getting fewer by the day. But we're still operating in a time when God blesses and honors his word. If his word is preached as it is written, God honors his word. The Bible says that his word will never return void. People still need to be told that they're sinners. People still need to be confronted with the need for genuine repentance. And I might say this, people still need to be shaken from time to time. So don't despair. If your church doesn't do it like the church down the road, don't worry when they call you old-fashioned or out of step. <laughs> Let them make fun of our preaching, our singing, our worship. God still meets with us, and that is what matters. See, he's still working. See, he still honors his word. Therefore, we must stay the course and carry on for his glory until he comes. We do not please the hoodlums of life. We do not serve anything or anyone around us. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and he's worthy of it all. Thirdly, I would note, have you notice in verse 6, John and his manner. See, John didn't wear the fine robes that adorned the bodies of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not gravitate toward the finer things in life. His clothing was as rough as his message. He was a man of the desert, and he dressed like a man of the desert. He was out of step in his fashion sense. 
We're also told about his food, his diet. He shunned the fine foods of the palace, favored the foods of the desert dweller. He got his honey out of the rocks, and he lived on such things as he could trust the Lord to provide. He was a common man who did not seek after the allurements and the attractions of the world. By the way, his diet was very balanced. Locusts are filled with protein. Honey is carbohydrates. John was a balanced man who was satisfied with the basics of life. John's manner was as unusual as his message. John the Baptist was an odd man. He was an odd duck, even in his own day. Now imagine how this man must have appeared to the people who saw him. He was a Nazarite, according to Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. That means that his hair and his beard had never been trimmed. Nazarites often carried their beards in sacks around their waist to avoid stepping on it. Their hair was braided into seven braids and hung down their backs, touching the ground. How would we react if John the Baptist came to preach in our churches today? He stepped out of the wilderness, dressed in the rough garments of a prophet. And he came to the people of Israel with the same spirit of confrontation that dwelt in Elijah some 800 years earlier. He came preaching with power. In fact, John was so unusual that he was never invited to preach in the temple or the synagogues. They had no use for a man like him. They did not want to be confronted. They did not want their little apple cart upset. They had it made and they didn't want some weirdo coming from the outside to destroy the little religious empire that they had constructed. John came with a strange appearance. He came with a very strong message. He was out of, his, out of step with the times. But God was with him. God was with him. And God used John the Baptist in an amazing way to carry out a powerful ministry. If John teaches us anything today, he teaches us the truth that we do not have to fit in with the world. Not at all. He teaches us that it is all right to be different, and we can dress different, we can talk different, we can live different, and it does not mean that we're weird. It simply means that we have a desire to walk with the Lord and honor him. It's all right if you don't live as the world lives. It's all right if you do not do the things that the world does. It's all right if you do not drink, cuss, do drugs, and run wild. We should never allow the world to force us into its mold. Romans 12 and verse 2. We should yield ourselves to God, separate from the world. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says that. And allow him to mold us into his image. Never be ashamed of who you are and never be ashamed of who you are not. Verses 7 and 8, I would show you John and his message. These verses give us the content of John's message. He did not preach to build up his name or his reputation. John preached to point others to God. He preached to point men to Christ. And these verses tell us that John the Baptist's message was all about someone else, not him at all. Verse 7, we see the message of a humble servant. So 
See, John the Baptist was a bold preacher. He thundered out against sin. He called people to repent. But when he began to talk about Jesus Christ, John became a very humble preacher. He tells the people who heard him preach that compared to Christ, he, John the Baptist, he was a nobody. He tells them that he isn't even worthy to do the job of the lowest household slave. John says, I am nothing, but he is everything. John says, I didn't come to call people to me. I came to point people to him. That is a humility that is lacking in these days. This highlights one of the reasons people refuse to deal with their sin. People often compare themselves to the wrong standard. If you look around, you can always find someone who lives worse than you do. You can hold them up and say, see there, compared to that person, I don't look that bad. Now that may be true. But if you honestly compare your life to Jesus Christ, you'll see exactly how bad you really are. The people were flocking to John. He had the ear of the nation. He had the people eating out of his hand. But when John saw Jesus, John saw how needy John was. And when John saw Jesus, he saw that John was nothing and Jesus was everything. That is why John was willing to step aside so that Jesus might shine. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That is why John magnified Christ. He knew that if people could see Jesus Christ, they would see themselves as they really were. If they saw themselves as they really were, they would see their need for Jesus and they would want him to be their Savior and their Lord. So John pointed men to Christ. In verse 8, you have the message of a holy Savior. John also told them that when Jesus came, he would do a spiritual work in their hearts. You see, John was using a very material element here, water, to baptize their bodies. Jesus would use a spiritual element, the Holy Spirit, to baptize their souls. John was taking them and placing them under the water in a symbol of their repentance. Jesus would take them and he would wash their sins away in his blood and he would give them a new life. And all those who come to him by faith will be changed, saved, and forgiven. And it is as easy as calling on him by faith. Acts 16.31. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friend, in closing, the message John the Baptist preached was an unusual message. He did not preach to gain the favor of men. He did not preach to grow a great ministry. He did not preach to attract a crowd. He preached a simple message about a wonderful Savior named Jesus Christ. He preached a simple message about the need for people to deal honestly with their sins. 
He preached a message that those people needed to hear, and he preached a message that we need today as well. Has the Lord spoken to you through the message? Do you sense the need to come to Christ and be saved? If so, you can. If you'll come to Christ and repent of your sins and call on him by faith, he will save your soul, he will forgive your sins, and he will change your life. Yeah.